you, you need to utilize those type of contacts. So I have no um, resentment of anyone who does. Um, they're very fortunate to have been put in the position where they've already got connections and they can utilize them. And that's what we all should do. If you don't have those, then it's obviously more difficult. Um, but there's no point wasting time getting cross with those people. You have to create your own opportunities. So you either try and infiltrate it or if, if all else fails, then you actually have to maybe set up an alternative and then get those people to the point where they want to actually be invited in to join you rather than the other way around. Welcome to the She Leads Business Show for female owners and leaders of small and medium-sized businesses. You are in the right place if you want a more aligned success, to make a greater impact and to have happy, engaged, high-performing and inflow teams that you trust to get the job done. Allowing you to ditch the stress and firefighting, to focus on your most fulfilling high-value work and to have the financial and time freedom to live the life you truly desire and deserve. I'm your host, Una Doyle, founder of creativeflow.tv, and I'm a speaker, business strategist, and impact coach. Business owners and leaders hire me to help them to achieve impact-driven growth. Yes, not every business owner is in the position to hire me, so I created this podcast, and in every episode, myself and my guests share the stories, strategies, and actionable wisdom to help you to achieve this too. Now, on with the show. Hello, hello, hello. It is Una Doyle here, host of She Leads Business. And today I am delighted to have with us Alison Lobb, who is the managing partner of Moorcroft Solicitors Legal Practice. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to hearing your story today. Um, Alison, tell us a little bit about you. Um, we'll get into your career in a little bit of a while, but I'd love to know a bit about you. You know, where did you grow up? What was life like for you when you were growing up? What were your biggest successes and challenges when you were a younger person? Uh, thank you. Well, I, I was born and grew up in Liverpool. Um, I was very fortunate to attend some really good schools. And while I was young, I was a competitive swimmer. Um, and I actually swam for Great Britain when I was 13. Um, but unfortunately, I think that was when I was at my peak. And it turned out that that wasn't going to be my future. Um, so I carried on with my studies and I went away to university in Essex uh, because I wanted to get as far away from Liverpool and my family as possible so that I could be completely independent. <laughs> um, that sounds awful, but I, I just wanted to stand on my own two feet. Um, I did my three years at, at University in Essex. I came back and did a year's law college in, in Chester, which um, obviously just down the road from here, but I probably came home less when I was in Chester than I did when I was in Essex and came back to Liverpool to work in 1991 uh, when I finished that to train as a solicitor, which I did in 1993. Interesting. I, I, I couldn't help chuckling when you said you wanted to get away and be independent because I did exactly the same thing. <laughs> So I grew up in Dublin and I ended up moving to Leeds. Now, I didn't knowingly move to Leeds. I applied for a job that was in Leeds, but it didn't say it was in Leeds in the ad. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a whole other story. <laughs> and I came for what I thought was going to be six months. I'm still here. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Why couldn't I have gone somewhere warm like Spain for six months? <laughs> 
I'd probably still be there too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so interesting. I, I'd love to know actually, how has being a competitive swimmer impacted you in terms of how you approach life or your career? You know, what did you learn most from that? I think you learn discipline um, and a bit of willpower and self-motivation because actually plowing up and down a swimming pool is very, very boring and you need to learn to do other things with your mind at the same time as, as doing it. I actually used to uh, train after school. So I'd come home, I'd have a head full of all the homework. I'd go and swim for two hours. I'd try and work it all out in my head while I was swimming so that it took me as little time as possible when I got home to write it down <laughs> um, and get it done. Um, it, it's also quite a strange uh, thing to do because when you get to the level where people think you might be successful, you actually have to train more or less every day um which means that if you're at school and training there isn't really any time for anything else so I wasn't really up to speed with music or fashion or soaps or anything else that a lot of other people in school were and that was quite difficult sometimes because I couldn't really join in the conversations and got picked on a bit for that as well so it probably took me a bit of resilience too interesting do you think that um I mean, apart from the resilience, but do you think that dynamic, is that something that carried on when you went to university and into the workplace or what did you do to change that dynamic? I'm not sure um, it's something that you consciously think about. I think it's just uh, one of those many things that goes to make up your personality further down the line. Um, you realise that maybe what's important to other people isn't the be-all and end-all and that other things might be important to you. Um, you know, I, I I didn't know what was number one in, in the charts in those days, but actually I knew lots of other things. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe that saw me in good stead as well and, and you don't necessarily need to follow the crowd. Couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, it, it, this brought me back to you know, me being a teen and really wanting to fit in and uh, and not fitting in. So I, you know, I also got picked on. In fact, I was outright bullied um, mm. as a child. And um, so I can I can really relate to what you're saying. And it's something that took me quite a lot to be able to overcome. And um, a lot of, you know, yes, definitely got that strength of character from it for sure. However, it's been a quite a hard journey, like over a long number of years to get to the point where I could gen- genuinely be, well, yeah, I don't really care what they think or they think, you know, I only really care what I think and the people who are closest to me. And even then I will do what I believe is best, even if other people don't mm-hmm. agree. Um, I think that's something that's, I mean, I think it's hard for many teenagers to get to that point because I think at that stage in our life, um, there's a real for most teens there's a real kind of desire to fit in but then I think that carries on for a lot of adults as well yes it does it does and you you led to believe I think because the majority think something's good or the right way to do it or, or the most important thing that that it is uh, and it can be very difficult to kick back against that absolutely mm-hmm. hmm, interesting so what would you say is what was the one reason that you would think that you're successful i'd probably like to say actually hard work and determination um 
you know, I, nothing, nothing comes easy. And um, it always irks me a little bit when, when people make out that it does. Um, you know, you have to work at everything. You have to use every opportunity you have. You have to be prepared to sacrifice at least some of your own desires and wants and, and things you would rather be doing to just get on with it and um, crack on with, with work, know what you need to do to the next stage and move ahead with that and, and put that effort in where it's needed. Um, I think the other thing that I would say that also has been very important to me is watching and learning from others. Because, you know, you're never too, it's never, you never stop learning in this life, I don't think, um, particularly in the legal world, because legal career is one where you, know, you start learning when you go to university, and I don't think you ever stop, because things change all the time. Um, but in the management side as well, I think there are so many things we can all learn from other people, both in the way they do things and don't do things, and also in the way they behave and they respond to you. I couldn't agree with you more. Very, very true. Uh, and I'm a big believer in lifelong learning myself. It's if I'm not learning, I'm bored. <laughs> There's always got to be so, something, you know, that is like, oh, I can learn about this. I can learn about that. I think it keeps us alive when we learn. I think having, you know, whether it's professional skills, whether it's in our hobbies or just having a growth mindset and mm. being open. Um, I think it would be hard to maintain any success without having that kind of mm. attitude for sure. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Um, so I know you were saying that you love swimming, but you also have a passion for photography. What kind of things do you like to photograph? I like photographing wild wildlife and landscapes. Um, works quite well for me because my husband is very into bird watching, so we can go out for a walk together. He'll look at things and I'll take pictures of them. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> match made in heaven go, yes um <laughs> we, we walk a lot in north wales and dartmoor and I, I, t I take loads and loads of pictures the beauty of digital photography of course you can just keep taking them um and i i come home and i play with them and i edit them and i plan to do things with them and then forget <laughs> <laughs> so one of these days <laughs> one of these days i will get some of them blown up and put on the wall and i'll start doing calendars again like i did many years ago and uh, actually appreciate them oh sounds like a super mm. idea mm. well maybe you could do a calendar i mean you're involved with lots of different organizations mm. um maybe you could provide a calendar for one of the charities that you're involved maybe with. maybe that's a good idea i have to think about that <laughs> you see as a business coach, I can't help but see opportunities <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Fantastic. And you, you are involved in a lot of different organisations. I mean, you've been president of the Liverpool Law Society. Um, you know, you've edited the uh, Law Society's monthly magazine, uh, Liverpool Law. You're a trustee of the North Liverpool Citizens Advice Bureau for quite a long time. You're now um, a trustee of the Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation. And, and I have interviewed Paula mm. as well. Um, amazing organisation. Um, and it doesn't stop there. You're also involved in the Institute of Directors, the Liverpool Inception Chamber of Commerce. And you're the chair of the Mersey Bowen Tennis Club as well. The oldest club in mm. Liverpool. So... How on earth did you find the time? Because when I when I first moved to the UK, I lived in Leeds 
and I was involved in the Junior Chamber of Commerce there. And there was a lot of professionals in that organization. And I remember like we would have meetings in the evenings and a lot of the solicitors would have a, a kind of committee council meeting type thing. And then they would go back to work. Mm. And I was always like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> so I know that many solicitors work a lot of long hours. So how on earth do you fit all this in? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I, th I think it helps that um, because most of what I do these days is management. A lot of those other activities involving the Chamber of Commerce and the Institute of Directors and the LEP, who I'm now involved with locally as well, they do all dovetail into my day job. So it just becomes part of a bigger whole, really. So, you know, I might be sitting here sending emails at whatever time of night, but they could be for all of those things or actually they could be for you know connecting some of those things together it's all about helping our business and developing our business and through that um if i can then help other businesses as well and the city economy as a whole then excellent it has to come back to more crofts at the end of the day because i'm a part owner of that business and, and that's what i'm there to run um but at the same time if i can use what i've learned there to help other businesses that's great and if i can then make connections through doing that which can come back and help more crafts that's even better so it's 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 all a big picture really that makes sense and i do love when we can create synergies between different aspects of our life um it's i think it's because i think it's very easy to for people to compartmentalize Yes, if we can actually create those synergies, it, it can be more effective and uh, more powerful and just have us feel a whole person. Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's interesting as well what you're talking about in terms of utilizing these opportunities to raise the profile of your company and you're networking at a very high level, really. People talk about the old boys network. Um, what's your view on that? Do you feel it's still there? If it is, you know, how can women kind of deal with that? It is still there. Um, I don't think it's still there anywhere near to the extent that it used to be, but I have encountered examples of where I've tried to get involved in something and been told actually there's no opportunity there for you and then discovering later that someone else has been invited in. Um, who has all these existing contacts and is part of that gang. Um, I think the way to, to try and do something about it is from within, actually, and try and influence it as much as you can. Get to know people and get them to realise that you are actually someone worth knowing who can contribute. Um, it's... At, you, you, you need to utilise those type of contacts. So I have no... Um, resentment of anyone who does um, they're very fortunate to have been put in the position where they've already got connections and they can utilize them and that's what we all should do if you don't have those then it's obviously more difficult um, but there's no point wasting time getting cross with those people you have to create your own opportunities so you either try and infiltrate it or if, if all else fails then you actually have to maybe set up an alternative and again get those people to the point where they want to actually be invited in to join you rather than the other way around I like your thinking. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't want to be part of your club. I'm going to create my own much, much better club. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I think I do genuinely think that's great advice, though. Um, 
and you know uh, re resentment is so unproductive mm. it's not you know i mean the people who you're resentful of usually have no idea and if they did they probably wouldn't care um so the only person that that is suffering is the person who's feeling resentful mm. so definitely whatever ways you can let go of that and actually you know take something productive in terms of what is within our control the actions that we can take and actually what inspires us as well because when we create our own networks when we create our own clubs when we create our own way of doing things then we're more that's more likely to actually be authentic to who we are and the way that we operate as well yes definitely rather than trying to change yourself to fit in with other people absolutely um when we talked previously you told me that when you first qualified you actually had a real struggle as to were you going to stay in the law mm. or not tell me more about that so i did my training which was back in the day was called articles which dates me a bit um these days it's called a training contract where a solicitor does two years of work-based training in a firm of solicitors and at the end of that, um, provided that you don't do anything too horrendous, you come out as a qualified solicitor. Um, and the firm that I worked for was a very nice firm, very friendly, very supportive, but unfortunately didn't have any jobs for me to go into when I qualified. I thought I wanted to be a family lawyer. I thought I could do it. I'd spent the last 12 months of my training working in family law, assisting uh, the solicitor who did it there. So I applied for jobs in that field and I went to work for another local firm who took me on as the only family lawyer in the firm. So I got past bits of things that people have been dabbling in and told off you go get on with it. And I soon discovered that actually it wasn't what I wanted to do because I found that having to draw a relationship between um, giving people advice that it was professional advice that had to be paid for that had to be you know having to hit targets etc and at the same time having to blend that with being empathetic and helping people with their emotions and being treated like a counsellor and it just wasn't for me and I really admire anyone who can do it as a family lawyer because it, it just didn't work for me at all um, as the only family lawyer in a firm I was the person who got all the inquiries all the complaints all the you know everyone offloading their emotions onto me particularly on a Monday morning and um, unfortunately the firm I was at didn't really support me and sort of even asked me how I was doing they didn't tell me what was expected of me but then they complained that I wasn't doing what they expected of me even though I didn't know what it was um, they didn't give me any training. They just assumed I could come in and do everything their way, even though I'd never worked for them before. And the relationship wasn't pleasant at all. And I, I felt I got to the point where I didn't want to go to work. Um, and so eventually we parted company and I wasn't really sure what to do with myself at that point. I just didn't think I wanted another job in the law. Um, I didn't want to waste the fact that I'd done a law degree. I looked at other options like journalism, like uh, graduate training programs. Um, I did some research for people. Um, I actually applied on a BBC journalism course um, and did some work experience in that in the local radio. And then I found a job in the legal aid board working in Liverpool, which involved, um, it was a, a dual role 
it involved some of the time sitting in the office and making decisions as to whether people should have legal aid or not. And there was a lot more legal aid around those in those days. So there was quite a lot of work to do there um, and, and dealing with appeals when it was refused. And then the other part of the role was going out and auditing other solicitors firms as part of a team to check that they were complying with all the rules and that they were the right people to be running legal aid contracts. And um, so I went there and I went through seven weeks of training in hotels all around the country with a group of people from all the legal aid board offices, which was great fun and very, very different from anything I'd done before. Um, and then I came back and worked in the Liverpool office and I was there for two and a half years and I loved that job, really loved that job. Um, despite the fact that it was a, a legal agency, there weren't many people there with legal experience. So because I did, I was able to progress quite quickly and I took on quite a lot of training roles internally and externally. I got involved in the implementation of the new national computer system, all sorts of things like that. But there was nowhere else to go. There was no progression um they were trying to bring people in from outside to fill higher level roles because they wanted more uh, external commercial management experience um and and i talked to them about you know, what opportunities there were and there never seemed to be any um and so although i loved that job um and i had no desire to leave it um when i saw an, an advert for a job at what was then called moorcroft urquhart I thought, well, you know, I'll just have a go. Um, I'll see how I get on. I haven't been looking. I haven't applied for any of the jobs for two and a half, three years. Um, it was a firm that had been up to audit and I'd liked it and I'd felt it was very welcoming. The people there were lovely. Um, it had a really nice atmosphere. Everything was done properly. Um, and so I applied for the job. Um, they offered it to me. <laughs> I was quite shocked by that. Um, and then 21 and a half years later, here I am sitting to you as five years in as managing partner. Of the firm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like it was a, a good move mm, to make. Yes. Definitely. Um, I love that your grandmother said yes. uh, that you th she thought that would be a good firm to work for as well. Yes, my, my grandmother used to volunteer on the reception desk at, at the uh, Citizens Advice Bureau in town. And she used to say to me about this lovely girl who used to come in and um, do the advice clinic for people. And um, and her name was Helen and she worked for this lovely firm. And you know, it was all very nice. And um, um, she'd be a lovely person to work for. Um, and that person tended, turned out to be Helen Broughton, who subsequently was my managing partner at Moorcroft's. Um, and I'm really not sure Granny's description of her as a lovely little girl is anything that would ever have crossed my brain when I think about Helen. Um, <laughs> she was a very, very strong and determined businesswoman. <laughs> but yes, it certainly had a part to play as well. <laughs> Well, it just shows we, we can all show our softer sides. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it interesting, though? I, I'm just thinking about an employer's brand. And I, I, I think quite often employers don't get the impact that, you know, how they treat their staff how and therefore how their staff interact, not just with their clients, but with all these other stakeholders and communities and how word gets round about who's good to work for, who isn't mm. good to work for, 
um and and all of that is is that something that you know you and Moorcrofts kind of consciously look at we do um i actually did a podcast about this the other day with some other local business leaders and i've obviously i've, I've spoken about this as well at the national law society at a conference last year um in my view how you treat people is probably one of the most important things you should always treat other people as you would expect to be treated yourself everyone is part of a team and everyone is important and everyone plays a role in that team no matter what it is that they do because the team couldn't function without them um Moorcroft has very much a family feel it did when I arrived it still does now um and I think in some ways recent experiences and lockdown um have actually brought us closer because you know, we have a whole firm WhatsApp group, we have people who connect with people that they probably didn't see from one year to the next because they we worked in completely different offices. Now having chats about recipes or grandchildren or dogs or whatever, you know, we've all had calls where we've been on Zoom and we've seen other people's houses, other people's families, other people's kids and dogs and cats, um, you know, and and everybody's felt relaxed and able to do that and able to share which I think is really important um, you know I, I don't have the answers to everything and sometimes somebody else might and we have to listen to everybody um, and we have to share those experiences and bring all the good things out knit them together and use that to push us on and it's interesting isn't it that second firm you worked with where you had no support I mean, look at what you've achieved and how that has benefited more crofts. And if they had had a proper induction process, if they had had, you know, support and training for you, um, you know, constructive appraisals and and actually just cared, mm. <laughs> you know, they've lost out because they didn't do those kinds of things. Yes. And I do think that that experience has shaped a lot of how I manage because I, I do have a lot of sympathy with young solicitors coming through. If people are criticising them for not doing things the right way and I'll sit down and say, well, have you told them exactly what you want them to do? Have you told them what's expected to, of them? Have you told them how they can achieve what we need them to achieve? Because if you don't tell them, no one can blame them if they're not doing it right. Um, and, and again, I think that firm was very formal, very, you know, what you, you called everybody Mr or Mrs. And, um, you didn't speak unless you were spoken to and um it just wasn't wasn't a pleasant place to be and when you spend so much of your life at work you need to be comfortable there don't you so true so true that is yeah definitely i'm i'm a big believer i mean in the businesses that i'm working with a really important part of what i'm doing is helping to make sure that people are in flow um have you come across that term before alison no. So flow, sometimes people call it like being in the zone. Mm -hmm. um, so those times when you, even when you're challenged, you feel confident about achieving your objectives. It's just something innate within you when you lose all track of time. So quite often for us in business, it's about time going faster. When you look up and you're like, oh my gosh, that only felt like 10 minutes. <laughs> and yeah. actually a few hours has gone by. Mm -hmm. Those times when we're all more productive, um, you know, where our performance increases, when you have teams in flow, because like it's not just on an individual basis, when you've got teams in flow, then 
the communication, the team dynamics improve, the the speed and quality mm -hmm. of workflow and accuracy all increases. And all of that leads to being incredibly more profitable. However, a significant thing about being in flow is that you cannot be in flow and stressed in the same moment. So it's actually very important for you know the focus that we have on well-being these days, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Um, the more that people and teams can be in flow, it helps the bottom line and it also helps all the people involved. And of course, the knock on effect on their mm. families as well. So I'm curious, like if you were to put a score on your level of flow, um, and I don't know whether it would be different now, kind of during lockdown, than it might have been before or whether it's pretty much the same. Um, but if you were to give an average flow score from zero to 10, where 10 is the most flow you could ever achieve, I'm curious what your number would be right now. Oh, hmm. I'd probably somewhere around six or seven, I think. Um, which, you know, I, I think in some ways this whole experience has concentrated us on realising what we're trying to achieve and, and to work together to achieve it. Um, there are a lot of things that we did because we always did and actually you realise that you don't need to do them. There were other things that we tried to do and never quite got around to doing or had on a list to do that hadn't done. Um, and now we've got a common purpose why we have to do them. And, and that is bringing people together a lot more. Um, so the whole remote working issue, you know, over a space of about two or three days, we got an entirely desk based business in an office to everybody working remotely. And if you'd ever said to me, you're gonna to have to do this, I would have said, there's no way we can do that. But when you've all got a common purpose and you work together and you're like, well, I can do that bit and I can do that bit, right? Let's come back in an hour, let's see where we've got to. Um, everybody knows they've got to play their part and they get on with it. it. It worked, it worked. And once you've done something like that and you know you can do that, then you could do anything else as well. That thing you said about common purpose is is so vital. And in fact, research done in emergency rooms um, has showcased that that is one of the reasons why they don't tend to have politics. They tend to have very high levels of performance and productivity mm. because they have one common purpose to save the patient's life. Mm. It literally is life and death. It's important. Everyone knows how important it is and they act accordingly. And being able to translate that into a commercial environment, having that clarity of vision and the communication and engagement of everybody being on board with that is it just makes such a difference. And I, I remember saying, actually, at the beginning of um, you know when we first went into lockdown earlier in the year, um, I said, you know, this is it's a lot of teams are going to pull together in a way that they never have before because of this, because it's that crisis. It's that, um, you know, they talk about the, um, the kind of world war. Um, oh, what's the phrase that's gone out of my head? Blitz spirit. <laughs> that blitz spirit. Is that what you think? Yes, of? Yeah, yeah. Blitz spirit of kind of, you know, get it done. We all pull together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, this real camaraderie. And um, I, and what I also said was, what are you going to do to keep that going or to renew it, to kind of review and renew that? 
Um, and of course, with, you know, some clever planning, you can be renewing and reviewing that every three months mm. <laughs> as part of 90 day plans and things. Um, and, and that can be really important. Um, so what, what would be one thing that you think would increase your flow score? Something that you could start doing or go back to doing or stop doing or do in a different way? I always think whenever anyone asks me what the most important thing is, I'll say communication. And I think no matter how much we communicate with people, we can keep, we can do it better. Um, I think there's a tendency when we're all working remotely at sometimes to um, retreat into your shell a bit and just get on with what's in front of you and actually what um, someone in my role needs to be doing. Um, and sometimes I have to consciously force myself to do is actually make the effort to say to everyone, hey, we're all still here. What's everybody doing today? Um, and to try and bring people together more. You know, We've got over 100 people and it's quite difficult to keep all of them on board and, and communicating with you at all times. So one of the things we're constantly looking at is different ways to bring people together, uh, things that we can work on, projects we can get people involved with. So we've got, for example, one of our trainees at the moment is um, working on an environmental project, trying to see what we can do across all of our offices to improve our carbon footprint. Um, you know, so that's something that people who are really interested in that can get together with. We're looking at other things that we can do to um, unite the staff in terms of people who are interested in cooking or um, people who are interested in exercise and having some Zoom sessions, people to look at their Christmas shopping. All of that, I think, is really important to, to motivate people because, you know, we, we've been through the initial panic, the rush, the novelty of home working, um, the challenges it presents, the exhilaration of having of solving some of those challenges, um, the the nice feeling of being able to have some time back in the office and reconnect with people, all of that. We're now coming to the point where I think a lot of people are thinking, is this it now? And and they are going to start losing that motivation. So next we need to start looking at what's the next thing always what's the next thing there's got to be something else um, for people to strive for or at least feel united in have you ever wondered why most time management and productivity systems fail despite the huge amount of information that is out there so why is it that so many business owners end up overworked and sometimes even burnt out the answer is flow, or rather a lack of it for too many people. I've put together a free 50-minute jam-packed training video where you'll find out how to consistently get in flow, how to increase sales, reduce stress and overwhelm, and have more fun, focus and creativity without being worked into the ground. Now, here's some things that I'll reveal on this free video training. So number one, what is flow? The nine elements of it and how to identify it, why it's so important to reduce stress and overwhelm and increase focus. Number two, why many well-meaning business coaches, consultants and trainers can actually handicap you from having sustainable growth. Number three, the three specific elements of flow that you need in place in your business and the simple yet profound tool that makes this easy to do.
Number four, the golden rule of flow that underpins everything without which it's impossible to implement in your business. And number five, the one thing that will free up your time and increase your productivity so that you can get what's most important done. And you'll also learn the real reason behind why even those who do know how to get into a flow state often end up not mastering it. Sound good? Well, many other business owners just like you have told me how much they got from this training too. So head over to creativeflow.tv, get flow, or click the link in the episode description. Is going back to that one common goal mm, yeah, <laughs> that everyone yeah, can rally yeah. around. Patrick Lencioni calls it a rallying cry, mm. which I think I, I like that. So you can almost envisage a group of people going, yay, <laughs> <laughs> being excited about something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fantastic. So I'm curious, like, you, you know, you're, you're leading over 100 people, as you said. What do you do if you're annoyed with a team member? <laughs> That's when remote working is helpful because they can't actually see what you're doing necessarily, unless you're on Zoom. They can't, they can't see you throwing things or uh, sticking darts in them or whatever. Um, <laughs> I think it's just so important, isn't it, to put put yourself in their shoes and try and work out if there's actually a logical, rational reason why they're behaving the way they are or why they've done what they ha- what they're doing. It might be because they don't understand what you're asking them to do. It might be because they don't understand where they fit or, or what their place is in the team. Um, it might be because they genuinely simply do not understand. Um, you know, we deal with some very difficult concepts and ideas as lawyers and um, not everybody grasps everything first time. People need things explaining in different ways. Everyone learns differently. Um and it might be that with a bit of help and encouragement, they can get to where where you need them to be. Um, or it could be <laughs> they're just bloody awkward. <laughs> <you know? laughs> it could be that they're stressed and that's the way that they re- let their stress out is by having a row with someone or a rant. Um, you know, we all know that sometimes having a really good rant is, is a great way of relieving a bit of stress. Um so I will probably I will probably go and march around the house on my own. I might go and shout at the tree or the squirrel in the garden. Um, and then I'll have a cup of tea and I'll sit down and think, right, what is actually the problem here? And how do I deal with it? And how do I what 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 do I want to do about it? And how do I get to that solution? Um, and I'm very lucky we've got a very strong management team. Um, so every, and everyone in that team brings different skills and different insights and nobody has an agenda. So we do work really together, well together as a team. And if I can't sort a problem, there's normally someone else who can either sort it for me and take it off me or who can say to me, have you thought of doing this? And and might give me the insight to sort it out there and there. Well, that sounds like a fantastic collaborative Mm -hmm. team, which is exactly what you want. I, I'm curious, one of the things that you told me was that you never actually set out to be a marketing, a managing partner that, you know, you don't even consider yourself to be particularly ambitious. Mm-hmm. So how did you go from working as a solicitor to the position that you're in now? 
again, I think I just I just got on with it. And uh, as I got on with it, new new opportunities presented themselves and I worked towards those and then got on with the next thing. I think when you go into the law, you don't necessarily see yourself as being anything other than a solicitor. Um, you might see yourself at some point as being a partner in a firm, although that's not everybody's ambition these days. Um, but, but you go into it looking at being a lawyer and helping people with their legal problems and maybe winning some big cases or um, you know having some fantastic victories for your clients or depending on what field of law you're in um, I, I I never even had an ambition to be head of the team to be honest and then um, you know I was working in a team where people left I took more work on um, things moved around someone else left I remember being a little bit irked when I'd not been there that long and the partner who ran the team did leave and I've been there a couple of years and they brought someone in from outside um, as, as the new team leader and I wouldn't have dreamt of putting myself forward for that role at that time but again at the same time I sort of felt well what can this person do coming in that, that the rest of us can't do between us um, so when he then left um, I I was I just asked um, eventually and said um, to to the partners at the time, you know, what's the intention now with this team? Are you planning to bring someone else in? And they said, no, of course, you'll be head of the team. Um, and they just assumed. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. OK. Um, now, what was that you were saying about communication? Yeah. <laughs> this was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Before you took over. Yeah, this, was, this must have been 15 years ago, I think. Um, but I was, I was never particularly confident in my abilities. Um, and, and I'm still often have to sit and sort of talk myself into it and say, yes, you can do this, actually. Um, it, did, it didn't really occur to me to sort of put myself forward and say, I want to do this, I want to do that. Um, I think the younger generation now are much better at doing that than we ever were um, because they, they have sort of clear ideas about their goals or, you know, they, they don't want to stand still. Um, so yeah, so I, I sort of took over leadership of the team and then I was asked to become a partner in the firm and um, I hadn't been a partner that long when Helen, who was the managing partner at the time, asked me if I'd like to join the firm's board of management. And again, it wasn't that I had ambitions to be the managing partner of the firm, but I think I'm just innately nosy and I like to know what's going on and being on the board of management is the ideal place to be. <laughs> to find out everything that's happening in the firm um and so i said yes you know i was interested and um i didn't really realize it then but i think helen was actually sort of grooming me to be her successor um and, and she told me that several years later um and then she dropped a bombshell that she'd been offered a judicial appointment and she was going to apply for it and she only told two of us at the time who were on the board with her um, that she was going to apply for this role but she didn't think she would go for it and um, she was just having a go to see how she got on um, and then in whenever it was January February uh, she suddenly rang me one day out of the blue and said well I've been offered the job and I'm starting in May um, so you'll be taking over won't you <laughs> Okay, all right. Um, but then um, we had a partners meeting and Helen made an announcement to all the other partners and said, you know, so obviously you're going to have to elect a new management partner. And it didn't really, because I'd worked so closely with Helen and I had already been involved in the management of the firm, I was doing a management training course at the time, it didn't really occur to me that I would have to 
make my case for it. And everyone just sort of sat there and looked blank. Oh, who could do it? Oh, I don't know who could do this. And in the end, I had to actually say, actually, I would like to do it. And I think the others all thought I was a bit mad anyway. So because none of them really wanted the job. Um, and maybe I didn't know what I was letting myself in for. I, but again, you know, I wasn't jumping up and down saying, I want, I want, I want. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate in a way that she catapulted me into that position because I probably wouldn't have actually been brave enough to, to go for it myself. Not at that point. Um, and then you get put into a position where the book does stop with you. And it's scary, but you just get on with it. You have to. Yeah. I find it fascinating in these conversations that I'm having, the different journeys that each woman is having to get to the point mm. of where they are. And there's there's always, um, well, in quite a few of the stories, there definitely has been somebody else with a guiding hand who has been helping the person along or just point blank saying well yeah the <laughs> go for it yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course you can do this yeah <laughs> why why are you doubting yourself <laughs> and i think having that support is i think it's a, a good foundation that what whatever kind of role we're in whether we run our own business whether we're working in another business to actually make sure we're surrounding ourselves not with yes people but with those people who will be honest with us and will reflect back our achievements and our successes because it's easy to forget. And actually, I think one of the interesting things about when people are in flow, and I, I find this a lot when I'm working with people around their pricing, for instance, that they often think, well, because it comes easy to me, it can't be that valuable. Mm. And I want to turn that thinking on its head and say, no, because it comes easy to you, it's actually more valuable. Because that means you're in flow. That means you're working with your natural strengths. That means that, you know, and, and there's a difference between something coming easily in a natural strength. It doesn't mean that you don't still have to put work in. Mm. <laughs> you know, this is not about kind of, oh, I'll just sit back on my laurels. No, it's not about that mm. at all. Um, yeah, I just find that dynamic really fascinating of the the mental and emotional journey that we need to go on in order to get to to these places where we can make a bigger impact. And I really want this is one of the reasons why I'm doing this is to be able to go like, hey, look, here's Alison. Look what she's done. Wow, look at all these amazing accomplishments. And Alison's great and you're great too. And, you know, you can go and do, like, follow your own path and you can go for your things. And I just want that inspiration to be there. And I just want, you know, for you listening right now, I want you to go go away and make a list. Not right now, wait till we're finished. <laughs> <laughs> but when we're finished, <laughs> I want you to go and make a list of 50 achievements, 50 different ways that you can help your clients or that you, you know, things that you've done in your life and, you know, have it somewhere that you can reference it. Because so often I think just as women, you know, tend to underestimate what they are capable and they underestimate the impact that they've actually already had. What's one, what the flip moment that you've had 
it's a story I often tell people because I still really can't believe it happened. But I was I was part of a team of um, four or five of us, and we'd spent three days at um, a firm of solicitors locally, where we'd been going through all their files, and uh, someone had been going through all their management systems, etc. And I was the only female member of the team. And at the end of the three days, you have an opening meeting at the start and the end of the three days, you have a closing meeting to report back your findings. And, um, you know, we would we would each be given a bit to, to report back on. Um, and so we were in the boardroom of this firm, which was up on the top floor of an old house. Um, and we were all seated around, seating around um, like a large, shiny boardroom table. Um, and I was actually talking in, in full flow of my bit at the time. Um, when the door opened and the receptionist walked in with the tray of tea and coffee um, and she walked the length and the width of the table all the way around to put the whole tray in front of me um, even though I was actually speaking at the time because as the only woman in the room she naturally assumed that I'd be the one pouring the tea and the coffee <laughs> naturally, naturally yeah. yes and um, the I've never actually heard a silence like it <laughs> was in that room at that point um, when all the male partners of this firm, I think there were four of them sitting there listening intently, realised what she'd done and all sort of jumped up to try and <laughs> resolve the situation um, as soon as possible. I'll do that. You know, let me let. Yes, you don't you have that in front of you and let me do it. Um, I don't know whether they thought they were going to lose their legal aid contract. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it was. It, it just sticks in my mind because I think I think it was the fact that it was actually the receptionist who thought that innately. Um, you know that the woman here's the woman. Give her the give her the teapot. Um, mm. You know, I, 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 I'm curious. Like, what kind of age range would you put her in? Oh, I don't. Was she young? No, no, older? she was older. Yeah, she was an older okay. lady. Yes. Mm. Um, so probably very much a, a generational thing and you would hope that it's uh, mm. no longer prevalent attitude but yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean at least the men a noticed and b chose to do something yeah. about it yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's that's better than some of the what the flip moments I've heard <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 it's it is interesting and so so much of this is unconscious for people mm -hmm. but the more that we talk about it the less conscious it can less unconscious it can be mm -hmm. and that can only help i believe yeah I mean, we, we come across it a lot though in our profession and um you know I've, I've i had a colleague who was a very good very experienced solicitor um who took a trainee male trainee into a meeting with her and um the client talked throughout to the trainee rather than to her and even afterwards when she wrote to him and she said this is who I am I'll be running your case this is how you contact me etc they still kept emailing the trainee and saying can you you know can you get this done can you get that done and um, just because they'd assumed that the man was the person who was going to actually be doing the work and <laughs> was the senior person in that dynamic yep mm. We still have a way to go. Yeah, we do. We do. But it, it's quite sad, really, I think, because I, I'm not sure um, how much of it is actually still like that within the profession or how much is actually the pressure we see from the clients that we're dealing with. Because, you know, if, if you're dealing with a lot of um, business or individual clients, 
there's still a bit of a hurdle there to get over with some of them in terms of you know who's doing the job because in the legal profession there's more women going into the legal profession than men there's more female solicitors than male um, but once you get to the the higher levels of the profession that's when it's mostly male dominated there's very few women in management positions and, and senior positions in law firms um, and you know there's lots of reasons why they they might drop away as as time goes on in their careers and not get to to that point but um, I'm pretty certain that client attitude is, has quite a lot to do with it particularly in the larger commercial firm. How many people do you know with outdated websites that do not generate any business for them? We've gone way past the stage where your website is simply an online brochure. Your website visitors expect more. And today, the affordable tools to have a high converting website are at your fingertips. Now, I want to emphasize that there are times and certain industries where you will want to work with specialist web developers, where they're doing everything customized from scratch and, you know, maybe integrating certain apps into your business, or perhaps you might need to use a specialist platform, such as if you're in e-commerce. For the rest of us, though, I highly recommend this resource because it will not only allow you to create a conversion focused website, it has the training and support to help you to do it, too. What am I talking about? Thrive Themes, conversion-focused WordPress themes and plugins. They're built from the ground up to make your entire website convert more of your visitors into subscribers, customers and clients. Now, if you have ever experienced problems, I know I certainly used to do, with WordPress plugins not playing nicely together, you will absolutely love this because within the Thrive Suite, you get access to everything, not just themes, but even a theme builder too, in case you want to customize things a bit more. And by the way, both the builder and the visual editor, Thrive Architect, where you do your pages and posts, it's all drag and drop. So they're super easy to use. There's over 327 beautiful conversion focused landing page templates. So you can ditch any separate system that you're using for that. There's also Thrive Leads, which means you can create and design every type of opt-in form you're able to run A-B tests on those and grow your list faster than ever before. And of course, you're able to integrate it with your mailing list and or your CRM. You're able to create fully customized quizzes that allow you to gain valuable visitor insights. Um, it'll help you to segment your email list, to drive website engagement and, of course, get social shares with Thrive Quiz Builder. Now, I love this and you might have seen several quizzes that I've created over the years. Plus, you're even able to build professional online courses with Thrive Apprentice, make commenting fun and engagement with Thrive Comments, do A-B testing for landing pages with Thrive Optimize. You can create evergreen countdown scarcity campaigns. And one of the things that I love is you can gather and display testimonials for social proof. Now, I personally have been a Thrive customer for years and unlike a lot of internet marketing companies out there, I trust Shane, who, who runs this firm, and his team completely. They are 100% focused on improving the product suite and our experience with them. They consistently are doing product updates and sharing valuable trainings. And there's even a whole Thrive University that teaches you why and when to use certain plugins as well as how to use them. And of course, because it's all part of the Thrive Suite, 
everything works together. There's hardly anything that I use in addition to Thrive Themes. So go check them out at creativeflow.tv forward slash Thrive Themes or use the link in the description. Do you feel that the firms are kind of kowtowing to that a bit and allowing that to happen? Or are they pushing back with their clients and going, hang on a minute, this isn't acceptable? You can't, you can't, can you? You can't say to a client, that's unacceptable. It's difficult. Yes, you can. Well. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) In a firm like ours, we probably would not so in, in so many words. Um... But in, I think in one of the larger commercial law firms, they're so conscious of the fact that these people are paying their, their wages. Um, so they will bend over backwards to do actually what the client wants. You know, it's the whole client is always right attitude. Um, and, you know, particularly in a large commercial firm, if you have a large commercial client, they might actually be funding a considerable amount of your business and you can't afford to lose them. So they will probably do whatever that client wants. Um, and if that means that they, you know, give them their young, bright male lawyers to do all the work um, and hide the women in the background, and the women are probably actually doing all the work in the background, um, you know, that that unfortunately I think is still the way it is in some parts of our profession. It's interesting because if the the more that suppliers push back on these things Mm. and because so here's how i would approach it like this is just coming to mind now is that you know those firms can go back and be saying okay look we've just noticed a bit of a trend of this happening Mm. here and if it's happening with us it's probably happening in your own firm and that's actually setting you up for lawsuits and uh, and actually, you're losing out by not tapping into diversity. Mm. You know, there's a whole host of a whole host of messages mm. that could be shared with that. But there has to be the desire and the will for that to happen. And until there's more women in those senior positions, then that's less likely to mm. happen. I mean, there are certainly, you know, male advocates, you know, for equality. Mm. Um, um, and you know, they they will play their part when they can. But I think the more that we all speak up about it and the more we say, actually, no, this behaviour isn't acceptable. Mm. Um, I I very, very rarely get, um, I'm very rarely in any situations where I experience sexist behaviour. Mm. Um, you know, I choose my clients. <laughs> if, if anyone, if I think somebody isn't, you know, uh, doesn't have those same kind of values as me I just we just would never get to the point mm. where we actually would be working together <laughs> and um, so obviously as this you know it's it's me and assistants and associate coaches like you know it's uh, a lot of this is in my control it's not always mm. the same when you're an employee for sure um, but I was in a situation earlier in the year where a guy made a comment and he was clueless that what he said was sexist and I imme- I commented on it. Now, they actually said it as they were going out the door. So if they hadn't been going out the door, I would have said it there and then to them. But I turned to the person I was with. I was like, I'm actually not easily offended, but I'm actually a bit offended mm. at that. <laughs> and I said, can you please pass that on? <laughs> because it was, um, 
it's only by us speaking up do we actually get things to change. Yeah, it's. I I agree with you. I I rarely experience it. I think, um, and that might be because I am now at the position where actually, you know, it people people aren't going to treat me that way because they actually want me on side. Um, I. I find it quite interesting. I mean, it's not something that I think or I, I historically thought about that often because, you know, I came up through more cross, more cross as a female dominated firm. It's become more female dominated as the years gone on. Um, 85% of our team are female. We've got more female partners than male. We've got more female board members, you know. So um, it's not something that I consciously think about. You do see it sometimes when someone new joins the firm. Um, you see them having to adjust to the way we are and our dynamic within within our relationships internally and the fact that um, it's not okay to make sort of jokey sexist comments and things like that. Nobody really calls them out, but they just realise that actually people don't find that funny or amusing, so they stop doing it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I mean, the you know the the account I gave you before the reason I, I that sticks in my head is because that was unusual for us um but I do know and I hear from people in other firms that that is something that happens quite regularly where where clients actually are the people making the assumptions and and putting the pressures on rather than within the firms um you know I, I talk I talk quite a lot to uh young women lawyers um in in firms about what they can do and, and how they function. And actually, most of them do feel that there's a lot going on within firms to support them now. Um, there's a lot of larger firms than ours that have women's networks or um, mentoring groups or um, various support networks in place that can actually help them to grow their careers because they're very conscious of the fact that um, at the top of the legal profession is still a very male dominated environment and it shouldn't be um you know you, you need you need as many different viewpoints and approaches as possible to make something work properly absolutely and, and it's interesting because it's like in the entrepreneurial world it's actually still the same um let's uh let's have our speak up statistic as i like to call it um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Alison Rose Review of Female Entrepreneurship. Uh, it's a study that was done in the UK. And um, one of the things that it found is that the, the ratio of female entrepreneurs to male entrepreneurs, like currently for every 10 female UK entrepreneurs, there's fewer than five female. Um, in comparison, the gender parity in the Netherlands is almost, um, it's, it's 0.9, so mm. it's it's almost equal. Spain sits above 0.8. Australia, the US, Canada, Israel, Sweden and Greece have gender parities of uh, 0.6 or more. Um, So we're lagging behind there. So as a female leader, like you're in the law profession, but you're dealing with a lot of organisations as well. Like what do you think can be done to encourage more female business owners? In the law, the problem is that most firms tend to be have a very old fashioned structure 
where you aspire to some form of partnership and um, once you get to the top of the tree you're invited to put your money into the firm and become a business owner it's a clunky way of doing things and I don't think it necessarily helps people to progress in the right way it can sometimes almost be the last man standing people aren't necessarily appreciated for all of their talents um, it can end up with the best lawyers being over promoted to being people who are then running businesses which they might not be suited to do um, yep. so I think there's a lot more that needs to be done in terms of recognizing other skills um, it's not just the person who can win the best legal cases or draft the best wills or um, the contracts or impress the most clients um, they might have fantastic abilities and all sorts of other things. They might be very good academic lawyers, but that doesn't mean they're the right person to be owning and running a business. Um, so I think there's a lot to be said about training people properly before they actually get to the point where that you, you're given the keys <laughs> to the front door. You know, actually, let, let's train them as to what they're going to do with those keys before they actually get there. Um I was very much assisted by doing management training. It wasn't something I'd ever thought of doing. Um, and and I did feel that a lot of it just um, validated what I was already doing as a team manager anyway. So that really helped me to go have confidence that I was doing things properly. Um, but I also think that there is a lot to be said for the new business models that are coming through within the profession. Um, there are firms that have a more sort of collegiate chambers like approach where you actually just um you pay in a certain amount of what you earn um you pay for the central services and and then the rest of it is up to you um so you're more in control of your you know what you put in and what you take out um and those firms are growing and i think will grow further with the whole recognition by people that actually you can work remotely as well um because I think if, if a lot of firms start saying to people, now you've got to come back in the office and sit in an office chair from nine to five plus, then actually they'll start looking for ways that they want to work differently and more flexibly. Um, and those firms will offer it to them. Flexibility and agile working is massive, um, particularly, you know, we've, we've, had, we've always had quite a few people who work so part-time. They might work three days a week or they'll work some strange hours. A lot of it is to do with around childcare and other caring responsibilities. And we've always tried to accommodate that as much as we can, even though it's not necessarily the best thing for the business. Um, but keeping those people on board might be good for the business. Um, people like that have really flourished during lockdown period because... Um, they, they, they already knew how to work flexibly um, and, and they were able to do more of it. Um, and people who didn't work flexibly before have learned how good it can be for them and, and how they can do that in the future. And they can do it around their other commitments and they can arrange their working day to suit them. Um, and that I think is going to help a lot of women as well to, to get to a, a point where they don't have to make choices um, and they can try and have a, a proper work-life balance as well well that sounds good to me <laughs> well I, th I think there's some great things for all business owners and leaders to consider in what you've shared with us today Alison and um, when something good happens I like to make something else good happen okay so I've um 
I've got something here. I want to see which of these things would resonate with you most. Um, literacy and business training for women in Uganda, uh, some sewing training for women in India or business beekeeping support in Kenya. <laughs> ah, beekeeping, I think. Beekeeping is really important for the future of the planet. It is. And I love this because it's both business and the environment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do, we are going to give, um, yeah, we're giving three days of beekeeping business support to a Kenyan farmer. I'm clicking the button here. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> so this is um, in conjunction with my partners at B1G1 who have a platform where we can integrate giving into their business. Um, anyone who wants to know more about that, um, there'll be a link in the description and you can access a book that even if, for free, no charge, that actually shows you how you can do this in your book, how you can do this into your business as well. So how does that feel, Alison? That's, You've done some good here. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant just by showing up, <laughs> just by showing up yeah. and sharing some of your yeah. wisdom, sharing some of your story. Um, it's been a real pleasure. I've loved the discussion that we have had here today. I, I love it when I go away thinking and uh, stimulated by, by the discussion that, that we've had as well. So thank you very much for your time. And uh, I wish you and more Crufts and the team all the best and wonderful success. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. If you'd like to connect with Alison, you can find her at morecrofts.co.uk. That's M-O-R-E-C-R-O-F-T-S dot co.uk. And you'll also find her on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram as Alison Lobb. Check the details in the show notes if you want clickable links. And that's all for today, folks. Make sure that you subscribe to get more of this juicy goodness for your business and check the description for links mentioned in this episode. Enjoyed this free broadcast? I want you to know that I go so much deeper into the topics discussed so you too can grow a fun to run, highly profitable business that increases your impact and your creative flow. If you'd like to know more about that, let's arrange to hop on a call. You can set that up at creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una. That's creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una.